Welcome to the wonderful world of wine, exploring all things wine with you. We are your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lindsay, and you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our New Year's Eve show 2021. We have made it through another wild and wacky year, and I am here with my co-host, Mark Lindsay. How are you, Mark? How are you, Kim? Happy I'm well. New Happy Year, New Year's. Right? How Happy are you? We're finally getting rid of 2021. And uh, well, long you know, year. it has been a long year. I was just having a conversation with my husband about work and you know, 2021 and where we were a year ago, because honestly, we were talking about our taxes and like what jobs we were doing a year ago and what is going to show up on the, the tax returns this year. And it was like, oh, my goodness, like it has been like this year has seemed to just go on forever or just that things that happened like January, February, March of last year seem like so long ago. So we've all made it this far with our, our loved ones and with ourselves. It's always good to celebrate and be thankful for the things that you have and to uh, be optimistic about the year to come. So that's how I am approaching New Year's this year and, uh, and New Year's Eve. And, and also, it's my birthday. All right. 21. <laughs> finally, finally. The finally, I can know. drink. There we go. Even, yeah. The listeners, <laughs> finally, the secret's out. Kim was drinking wine and she wasn't old enough. <laughs> Well, thank you. So we have to, Kim, all year long, I joke around with you and our listeners know, I always joke that you're the bubbly queen and we have to make this the bubbly New Year's show. I think we should just refresh the listeners on a few maybe safety things, uh, types of bubblies out there, the styles. So we randomly should just hit things up so people can prepare when they're going to pop something sparkling. Yeah. And uh Let's start with the basic safety or or opening, Kim, because this has been, I, I know we joked about it a couple episodes back about a Prosecco we were buying and we couldn't get the cork out. I've been having a hard time with it. I'm feeling bad because I'm having a hard time struggling to open these corks lately to get these bubblies open. Hmm. They just seem like they're in there so good lately. I'm getting weak in my old age. Is so, it Prosecco specifically? It's just lately it's been Prosecco. Yeah, I think as I've been drinking a lot of Prosecco. But for our listeners, let's go through the whole be careful. Everybody loves this New Year's celebration of blasting off that cork. But be reminded that there is a ton of pressure is equal to or more than your car tire in those bubblies with the cage on the cork. So please be careful. Kim, why don't you just refresh people how they should safely maybe open it? Sure. Celebrating. So surprisingly, the safest thing that you can do in order to have a bottle of sparkling wine of any type that hopefully will not blow its cork at an inopportune moment and God forbid hurt someone is really chill that wine down. So the best thing that you can do is have a really, really cold bottle because that will keep the pressure at a reasonable level and it won't pop out before you want the cork to pop out. Also won't explode and then you will lose out that. So you're thinking an inexpensive Prosecco or whether you've 
dropped a fair bit of money on good champagne, you want to make sure that that wine is nicely chilled, not in the freezer, but put it in the fridge the day before. So make sure that it is nice and cold before you try to open it. But do be aware that even when you take that precaution, you still have to be careful after you've removed the cage from the top of your bottle of sparkling wine. So it's like once you remove the cage from the bottle, the safety is now off. So be careful, keep your hand on it or keep your thumb on it, but do what you have to do to make sure that there isn't a possibility that that cork is going to go flying. Don't put your face over the bottle. Don't point it at a person or a window or a light bulb, you know, make sure that it's, if you do point it at something, it's a wall or a refrigerator or the ceiling or, you know, something that is not going to do any damage. And then as you are keeping your hand or your thumb over that cork, gently twist. You don't want to push it out with your thumbs um, unless you are looking for that big gigantic pop. But again, you're going to lose some of that wonderful precious wine. Keep your hand over the cork, twist the bottle with your other hand from the bottom. And even having a towel over the cork is a, is a good way to have a, a better grip on, uh, on the top of that bottle. So gently twist and um, ease the cork out of the bottle. And you just want a tiny little pop or a little hiss. And then all of that wine will stay in the bottle and you're not going to lose that effervescence either because that's one of the problems that if you have a a big explosion of your wine as you open it, not only are you losing volume, so you've lost a couple of ounces of that wine, but those bubbles are actually going to dissipate a whole lot faster because now they're they're moving and uh, and you want them in the glass and you want to enjoy them. Yeah, so it's not like the Red Sox World Series victory <laughs> opening. Any baseball you, team. <laughs> yeah, you notice when people do that, the foam is just gushing out. There's nothing left to drink, really. You're going to lose it all. I mean, you want to celebrate, you can you know, do that and blast it off, and, but you're going to lose. You're going to have nothing to drink. So just uh, be careful. And my question for you, Kim, when, when you do open the bottle on New Year's, do you do it exactly like at midnight or do you wait for the countdown? And then what's your tradition with that? So in, have it in, in years, hand? in years past, we have had friends over uh, for New Year's Eve parties. So we, we are the ones who, who host the New Year's Eve party for our, um, our small group of friends. We didn't do that in 2020. We're not doing it again in 2021, but usually what I do is I will have a special bottle of bubbly that I will open with 30 seconds to go or a minute to go and I will pour and then we will all drink that bottle at midnight. But because I like bubbles so much and I feel like what better day to enjoy what we have and my friends get the experience of drinking a whole bunch of my wines. So I will open things ahead of time that might be different than what we're drinking at midnight but I, I do like to have bubbly over the course of the evening of New Year's Eve. So I do both. So I've nice. got, you know, we're kind of drinking bubbles from like six o'clock on. Wow. Count yeah. Down. So I would say but that, you know, for my bottle that I that we're going to toast with at New Year's, I'm opening that like at, you know, 1158. Yeah. Yeah. What I, about you? Yeah. I mean, I try to I hold it in my hand during the countdown. I try to. Oh, so you pop pop it at midnight. At midnight. Ah, okay. I like to have the wine in people's glasses at midnight so that we can toast, you know, Happy New Year. And then we can all drink at New Year at at midnight. Oh, okay. I like like the sound at midnight and then pour. 
Totally. And then, and then it's from there, pass out. It's it's tired and it's <laughs> over. Right? Finish that champagne or sparkling and I'm done. So, yeah. So it's interesting how, you know, everybody's got their own yeah. different tradition with that. And, so. you know, it, there's not a right way or a wrong way of doing it. It's just like everything with these traditions. You know, it's what works for you and, and what you've been doing. And so many people purchase some sort of sparkling wine, mm-hmm. I think, just to have that celebratory sound. But maybe don't realize the different types of sparkling that are out there that we talk about all year long. So I thought we should maybe talk about what is the difference between the basic sparkling wines made all over the world that are made in a tank versus the sparkling wines that are fermented in the actual bottle and maybe give examples and and talk about how they're different tasting. Because most of the time people might just go, I, I shouldn't say most of the time, I notice in retail, people will get the inexpensive things that just have a cage so they can open it. I think not knowing really what it tastes like. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's fair or not, but I, I don't think they really care what it tastes like because they're probably not even drinking it. But let's start with the wines, the sparklings that are fermented in a tank, Kim, and what that would cover for our listeners. I kind of want to approach it from the opposite angle. Okay. I want to approach it from the angle of what does it taste like? Okay. And then have that reflect back on how is it made? Great. Because I, you know, I think for most people who don't have the geekitude of delving into wine that we do, it's first and foremost, all about the flavor. I mean, champagne also has a cachet, a reputation. There's something special about champagne because the marketing of champagne over the last three, four hundred years has been so brilliant that it has been able to position itself as the creme de la creme of bubbly wine the world over. So I feel like talking about champagne is an important and how it's made is an important part of the conversation. But I think for a lot of people, it's really about what does this taste like? And then, oh, let's talk about how it's made. And then that informs the flavor of the wine. So I think, I'd let, why don't we talk about, you know, wines that have a richer kind of toastier flavor to them and talk about traditional method that way. Go right ahead. I, th- I cool. think it's, it's exactly kind of where I was leading up to where I think things, there's like a fresh fruity style mm-hmm. or there's the things that got a lot more going on. The Absolutely. And, yep. So, and I and, think that dividing them into those two categories is exactly where I was going to. Okay. So I think for you, the consumer of, of wine, you might not get a lot of opportunity to drink bubbly wine during the year. You know, we tend to set it aside as something just for a celebration, you know, whether it's a wedding or a toast or a birthday or an anniversary or New Year's Eve, but it is first and foremost, a wine. It's just, it happens to be a wine with bubbles. And that adds complexity to the production, but it also adds other interesting flavors to it. And I think it sometimes it's a shame that people don't always feel like sparkling wine can be a part of everyday drinking, like we consider a bottle of Chardonnay or a bottle of Cabernet or a bottle of Pinot Grigio. So we give you permission and we encourage you to drink bubbly wine as if it were just any other wine out there, because that's what we do. And, you know, it's one of those like little secrets, I feel like for people who work in wine and who are a part of the the wine world day in and day out is that we do drink bubbles all the time. We don't keep them just for celebrations. And when you're 
thinking about the, the greater world of wine flavors, sometimes you want something a little simpler, a little fresher, a little fruitier, you know, something that goes with everyday sorts of foods. And then there are those other times where you want those special wines. Maybe your budget is only allowing you to have those things from time to time. And my budget certainly is that way. You know, I'm not drinking expensive wines day in and day out. I have pretty inexpensive tastes when it comes to what I drink. So for those wines that have that fresher, fruitier, easy drinking, great with food, interesting flavors going on, but maybe are made for more everyday consumption. That's where we lean towards things like Prosecco from Italy or um, Sect from Germany, or some of those less expensive California sparkling wines, you know, our, our Corbels and our Andres of the world. So there is this differentiation, yes, in production, but I feel like knowing how it's produced is secondary to to the flavors of it. So I think that Prosecco is really the standout uh, style of wine for either easier consumption or fruitier consumption or sort of everyday day drinking. Or le- and, and it tends to be less expensive. So if people are on a budget and still want something nice, but not in the $50, $60, $70 range like good champagne can bring you, then Prosecco is a really good way to go. Yeah, Asti Spavanti is a big one. That's of, true. Yes, that's true. And if, especially if people like sweeter. So if you like sweeter, Asti is absolutely the way to go. Do you think you can categorize most of the tank the wines that are sparklings that are made in tank as being a more sweeter than definitely more sweeter style? Um, you know, I think that some of them are intentionally made that way, but I don't think that they have to be. So as for me, it's less sweetness. So it's less about like actual sugar content and more about they're missing those complex, kind of more complicated flavors that that kava and champagne and some of the better things from South Africa and California and Oregon are producing because those wines have more age on them. And because of the way that they're aged, they develop these more complex flavors. So it really is this difference between yeasty, bready, toasty, sometimes a little funky flavors in those wines versus that fresher fruit, sometimes some sweetness in those Proseccos, those Ostis, um, those wines like that. So for our listeners, Kim, I just want to mention there are bobbly, sparkly wines made all over the world. And in past episodes, we joke about we don't like, you know, to be geeky about things. So when you're tasting wine, if we, we joked in the past, if you had a white, say it tastes like apple and a red tastes like cherry, <laughs> please, listeners, here is a tip. When you are looking for sparkling wines, please, please don't ask for champagne. Ask for sparkling wine and understand that true champagne can only come from Champagne, France, because it can get you in trouble when you ask for sparkling in the retail or the restaurant points you right away to the champagne and you're paying a lot more than you probably want to be paying. So I think that's kind of the tip. Same with the white apple, red cherry, always sparkling. And then my, if my take says, on this is of- my take on this is actually a little bit different. You know, yeah. yes, understand that that is the appropriate way to do to ask for bubbly wine if you are at a restaurant or in a retail shop. But I feel like having that little bit of knowledge is actually going to save you, the consumer, some embarrassment 
because maybe your budget is you're not going to maybe you don't want to or can't spend 45 or 50 dollars a bottle and that's where champagne is going to start at 30 so you are going to save yourself being put into a situation where oh they asked for champagne and they're going to show you all of these much more expensive bottles and then you have to like clarify oh no yeah. I, I that's, that's not what i want take, so I, you know I, having that little bit of extra knowledge yeah because um, I feel you know, bad, can put Kim. you where you want to be instead of putting you in a situation that maybe you'll get embarrassed and we don't want you to be embarrassed. You know, we feel like wine is and should be for everyone. And just having that little bit of language understanding of what wine people mean by the word champagne versus what the everyday consumer means by champagne. Not only is it going to save you from being shown wines that you might not want to be in that price point, but it's actually going to show them that you know a little bit of what you're talking about. And they are going to be like, oh, this person has some knowledge. And so they're going to sort of maybe take you under their wing a little bit more, and it'll be a much more enjoyable shopping experience for you. So I look at it from the, the retailer side where I feel bad when I'm showing people champagne, I, I always because do it's probably not in their budget, and I feel bad, and they or, or that they think that's what they should be paying for a bubbly right. when they shouldn't. So, but I also, like I mean, there are it, you know there are ways on and feel not just consumer, also to be those of us in the profession to be gentle about the terminology and to be like, okay, you know, we understand that the general public will use the word champagne to talk about anything with bubbles. I get it. I call it Kleenex, regardless of who made it. Right. <laughs> and champagne is kind of that way. You know, it's used as a generic term for anything with bubbles in it. And we might know that, okay, yeah, technically that's not right, but we get it. We understand. So it's also on us to be understanding and Gentle. I think gentle is actually a really good word. And to be able to do our job right and guide people to what they're actually looking for instead of being like, oh, you asked for champagne. Therefore, I'm only going to show you stuff from France. So, yeah. you know, so it's, just, it's from both sides. Just to wrap up on the an overall on the styles, fresh fruity is tank method made. It's going to be le less money than the ones that are fermented in a bottle, true champagne, that, but they have a lot more going on. So you're actually paying for that whole process and that complexity of the sparkling wine. Is that a good summary, Kim? Or? Absolutely. Yeah. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. We're here every week on Franklin Radio, WFPR 102.9 FM. You can find our past episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes. If you'd like more information about Kim, you can find her on CommonwealthWineSchool.com. If you'd like more information about myself, please go to FranklinLiquors.com. We are now on Instagram at The Wonderful World of Wine and Twitter at Wine Education. Welcome back, everybody. This is our New Year's show for 2021. We're talking all things bubbly. We've uh, covered safety. We've covered types. Uh, we've covered a couple of tips. And next, Kim, we should maybe talk like styles, maybe sweetnesses or 
vintage, non-vintage? What would you like mm-hmm. to talk a little bit more on bubbly that you think the listeners should know for New Year's? The shopping, should they look vintage, non-vintage? Or is that going to be really, is it related to the tank method versus the, can we relate that tank and bottle? Yeah. You know, I think, I think if you're, it's all going to come down to what is the flavor and the style of the wine that you're looking for. So, you know, if you're just looking for something to, you know, pop open at midnight, but you want it to be true champagne from the champagne region of France, then Go with a non-vintage house style champagne. So these are the wines that are produced by all the champagne houses year in and year out. And they try to produce a consistent style. It's not going to have a vintage year on it. It's a blend of multiple years. And just like something like Coca-Cola, they're trying to get it so that it'll be tasting for you the same way every single year that you buy a bottle. So whether you buy it in 2010 or 2020 or 2030, that bottle of Veuve Clicquot yellow label should always sort of taste the same to you. They're trying to um, aim for consistency. But vintage wines are a little bit different because some years are better than others, as we all know. And so the producers of champagne will declare a particularly good vintage as a vintage year. And then producers can make a special wine just from the grapes that were produced that year. And they tend to be aged a little bit longer. They have more of those toasty, caramelly, brioche notes to them. They're a little bit more of a special wine. They're always much more expensive. But I think for New Year's Eve, for if you're just popping a bottle with your significant other or a couple of friends, you know, a non-vintage bottle is is a great way to go. Yeah, especially this year because the vintage stuff is almost impossible to get. Yeah. Yeah. And some, you know, sometimes it's harder to find vintage wines because there haven't been declared vintages that have been released anytime soon. I know that I'm having a hard time finding vintage champagnes this year. Vintage ports are also seeming to be fairly scarce. Do you have any, uh, you know, favorite champagnes, Mark, that you want to tell listeners about? You know, you're the more traditional, I feel, bubbly drinker than me. I think we totally differ I like wines made in other parts of the world that are made the same way with the mm-hmm. same grapes as sure. champagne. But I, I've been leaning towards French Accorda oh, from yeah. Italy because I just feel it's not as toasty or nutty. I mean, yeah. it's a little bit softer yeah. to me for my palate. I actually so I tend to go that direction. Believe it or not, I agree with you. So my tastes in champagne definitely lean towards the less toasty, the less matterized. I like more fruit. And sometimes I even prefer the more extra dry styles. So not the really brute, really dry styles, but something that maybe has a little touch of sweetness to it. Yeah. let's. I'm glad you talked about that because I had that down. We have to talk about sweetness level in the terms because a lot of people get confused with those terms. So there's and rightly brute. so. It's very confusing. Yeah, it's very confu- it doesn't <laughs> make sense. Confusing. So it goes brute is actually the driest. So if you see extra dry, that next actually to the driest. means it it has yeah next to extra brute brute extra no, dry no. brute nature and then brute brute well and then extra brute the, the key is brute <laughs> brute <laughs> if you see brute it means dry brute means so, dry. It, whereas dry. extra dry actually means it has a little bit of sweetness compared mm-hmm. to the brute. So it's just confusing. It's confusing to say. It's confusing when people grab that you're just, 
you don't really think of that brute statement. Mm-hmm. And I had an interesting thing happen just recently that I want to ask you about, Kim, related to sugar. Someone had mentioned to me they had saw this. There's actually a sparkling now being marketed as no sugar, you know, low, sure. you know, so it's better for you. So this. Oh, oh the health claims. It's of, healthier. Oh Absolutely no sugar in this sparkling wine. But it's was I think it's labeled extra dry. So and I how can it be labeled brand. extra dry? It, right. So my and now I'm baffled. It's one of those things you hear something you I've never heard of the product. I look it up and I said, well, let me just check with the sweetness level. Because if they're saying it has absolutely no sugar, I'm wondering what the sweetness level and it had extra dry. And I'm like, well, I would say go with it. The alcohol was 13% for it too, mm-hmm. Kim. So I said, well, okay, I, I have extra brute here. That's 10 and a half, 11%. It has to technically be better for you because it has less, it has to have less sugar. Sure. Or a brute, or a brute nature that right. like literally has zero grams of sugar. But you know, it's like you get questions like, and that people are looking at that because they might be semi-diabetic or something, and sure. they want to wash their sugar. And I'm like, I, I honestly think this would be better for you. They because I, of- I wonder if a company can put on its label that it doesn't have any sugar in it, if it is in some way referring to cane sugar as opposed to grape sugars. So when you have an extra dry, when you have any type of sweetness left in any wine, you know, for a a well, you know, fine wine anywhere in the world, even if they're an inexpensive $9 bottle Riesling from Germany, the sweetness that is in that bottle isn't because somebody has put domino white sugar in there. There is, it's fruit sugars. So right. it's from the grape juice, but it's still technically sugar. Sugar. So correct. I'm wondering if this is like a marketing gimmick where it's like no added sugar, quote right. unquote, because it's the fruit sugars that are naturally occurring in the wine. So they can and get around the rules say of that. saying correct. that there's no added sugar because technically there isn't any added sugar because the product is made from grape juice. Right. You know? We we talked about that before. We talked about the fit marketing wines saying, you know, they're better for you because they called fit this or good for you that. And it's technically the same specs as any other wine out on the market. So, but yeah, I thought that was interesting. I had to tell you about that as far as sweetness. And uh, one other thing I wanted to mention as a, as a tip for our listeners that please be careful if you want to have some sort of sparkling for your children, there's sparkling grape juice out there <laughs> and there's sparkling non-alcoholic wines. Your children probably will not like the sparkling non-alcoholic wine because it does taste like wine and sparkling juice because it's basically made the same and then they just take the alcohol out. So a lot of times people are looking for sparkling juice and they pick up this you know, non-alcoholic wine, it's, I don't think the kids will really like it, Kim, as much. So it's a tip to, to be careful. Non-alcoholic sparkling grape juice or sparkling non-alcoholic cider, like a Martinelli's for the kids. Yep. That's what, that's what my guys go for. And they love it. Yeah. Not the other stuff. No, and it's that's really smart. That never occurred to me even to talk about. (laughs) I've never even opened one of those sparkling juice. Does it have as much pressure as sparkling wine? The sparkling what, the, grape juices? The grape juices and the apples? No, yeah, they don't. Yeah, like the Martinelli's. No. Does it, no, does and it they have don't a have cage? Corks. 
No, oh, they have, they're screw caps. Oh, so okay. They're screw so, caps. Yeah. And they do go flat fairly easily. It's more like the carbonation for soda. Yeah, I've never even yeah. had those. So but- I'm assuming that it is carbonated as opposed to undergoes some sort of secondary carbonation. So big difference. So our New Year's bubbly tips, Cam. Anything else real quick you should our listeners should know? Be careful, I mean, I hope be careful. That- I hope that we gave some information to people for their last minute shopping for their bubbles for New Year's Eve. It really just comes down to enjoy yourself. Don't do, I would say for people, don't necessarily take a chance on something that you haven't had before. You know, sometimes New Year's Eve is the opportunity to try something new, but then at at other times you want to stick to an old favorite and an old standby. So depending on how you feel about it, uh, maybe try if you know that you like true French champagne and you want to try a different producer or a different from a favorite producer. This is a great opportunity to do that. But if you're, you know, a Prosecco drinker and you really love that and that's what you want to stick to, then do what is comfortable for you and it'll make your evening that much more enjoyable. Yeah. Make it cold. Open yes. It <laughs> chill it down. Please chill it down. Really cold. <laughs> and, uh, Happy New Year to everybody. Happy New Year, Kim. It was a great year. For Thanks, hope our Mark. listeners enjoyed everything uh, we put together, and we will be back next year to talk wine again. So, yes, Happy, Happy New, New year, year, everybody. We'll see you in twenty twenty two. Thank you for listening to us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We've been your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lindsay. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine and our past episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes. Cheers and a happy New Year's. Bye, bye, bye.